Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is essentially a collection of his greatest hits. Most of what he had to say about much of anything can be found there, and it provides a helpful summary of his theology and religious philosophy. Blessed are the poor, the merciful, the peacemakers. Turn the other cheek, love your enemies, judge not, lest ye be judged. Don't be a hypocrite, and I'm paraphrasing here, but basically, don't be a jerk. It's a blueprint, really, for Jesus' so-called kingdom of heaven. And if we try to build it, like anything, without the blueprints, it's not going to work the way it's supposed to. It'll break down, rust, and fail, like so many other things that we've tried to engineer on our own. reading from the Gospel according to Matthew. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Hear now what the Spirit is saying to the church. Please pray with me. Everlasting God, may the words of my mouth and meditations upon all of our hearts serve to glorify you. And may they be in keeping with the teachings of our Savior Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Even in the future, nothing works. That's a line I quote often, probably several times a week, really. But no one ever seems to get the reference. There's a, a, a scene, you see, uh, near the end of Mel Brooks' whimsical Star Wars parody, Spaceballs, uh, in which the nefarious leaders of the evil galactic empire, the bad guys, are trying to escape from their spaceship before it self-destructs. All of the escape pods have jettisoned, and the onboard computer announces that this is their last chance to simply push the cancellation button and abort the self-destruct sequence. Cancellation button, they all exclaim in unison, racing off to find the button at the control panel. But when they do, there's a label on it that reads, out of order. Even in the future, nothing works, one of them complains. Like the characters in that sci-fi comedy, I think we also have a sense that we are living in the future. Technology has evolved so rapidly over the past 30 years. The world has changed so fast that our world bears an uncanny resemblance to the science fiction we consumed when we were kids. We haven't got flying cars, but we do have self-driving ones. Robots aren't ubiquitous, though they are prevalent in industry. We've got artificial intelligence, virtual reality, a globally connected, always-on, information grid, cyber warfare, and public toilets that flush themselves. It's really quite remarkable what humanity has accomplished in such a short amount of time. Now that being said, it often feels like even in the future, nothing works the way it's supposed to. The internet cuts out, grinding Zoom meetings to a halt, 
faces frozen in embarrassing expressions, mouths hanging open when someone gets perpetually caught in a dramatic yawn. Sensors fail, especially in the restroom. The aforementioned uh, public toilet flushes while you're sitting on it or fails to flush at all as you awkwardly walk away. Struggling to wash your hands and dry them as the sensors on the sink and the towel dispenser prove to be just as stubborn. And we've all experienced the automated voice systems that pick up when you try to call a service provider. Those eerily polite robots can never understand what you're saying. And they keep circling back to the same menu or forcing you to listen to recordings of smooth jazz in a kind of Sisyphean purgatory. I'm sorry, I didn't get that. Please hold for our next available service representative. Your approximate wait time is 43 minutes. Some of this is only natural. Even old analog technology fails sometimes, as any medieval peasant with a broken wagon wheel can attest. But here's the thing. With added complexity comes added precarity. The more complicated the system is, the more parts there are that can and will break down. My second car was a 91 Plymouth Laser. The thing was a dumpster fire. It gave me no end of headaches because something was always broken. By the time I traded it in, it literally had blue smoke pouring out of the engine. But you know what? I love that car. I love that car because it had those cool flip-up headlights that they used to have back in the 80s. I felt like David Hasselhoff driving that thing around at night. But you know, those, those kinds of headlights involve an additional mechanism to make them go up and down. Just one more thing that can go wrong. And when the motor broke, inevitably, I couldn't even drive the thing after dark anymore. They don't make headlights like that anymore, for good reason, but other mechanisms have become even more complex and more fragile. Even my kids' video games have come to rely on Byzantine digital ecosystems that require multiple user accounts and digital subscriptions just to turn the thing on. Something always seems to break down in the process. There was an article in The Atlantic a few years ago about this technological fragility called simply, Why Nothing Works Anymore. It was written all the way back in 2017. Feels like a lifetime ago. But it's, uh, it feels prescient reading it now. The more technology multiplies, the more it amplifies instability, author Ian Bogost writes. Things don't always quite do what they claim. The fixes just make things worse. And so ordinary devices aren't likely to feel more workable and functional as technology marches forward. If anything, he says, they are likely to become even less so. There's something to be said for simple, straightforward systems that actually work. To flush a toilet or open a faucet by hand, the author of that article writes, offers almost wanton pleasure 
given how rare it has become. A local eatery near me whose interior design invokes the 1930s features a bathroom with a steel crank roll paper towel dispenser. When spun on its ungeared mechanism, an analogous, glorious measure of towel appears directly and immediately, as if sent from heaven. Simplicity itself. But added complexity creates added precarity. And friends, we live in a very complex world. Our technology is not the only thing that has become increasingly precarious. The systems that undergird our entire human ecosystem, physical infrastructure, energy grids, economics, climate, democracy, healthcare, and so on, feel like they are breaking down, failing to work as intended. More technology is often touted as a solution, a fix, but that's insufficient when the breakdown is essentially a moral one. No amount of technology will solve the climate crisis, for instance, without the moral will to live more sustainably within our natural limits. These systems don't appear to work properly because they no longer serve the interests of the common good. And they don't serve the interests of the common good because the common good is not always a priority for the folks who pull the levers of the machine. In fact, one could reasonably argue that some of these mechanisms are not broken at all. Some of them are working precisely as intended. I read a fascinating article some years ago called Illusion of Control, Why the World is Full of Buttons That Don't Work. It's all right there in the title. The world is full of buttons that don't work. They call them placebo buttons, apparently. And people push them, you know, uh, because they think it's going to do something. But people actually put them there to give folks a, a sort of psychological cushion in stressful environments. These include thermostats in offices that aren't actually wired to anything. And of course, the traffic light buttons found at crosswalks. There are about a thousand of these buttons uh, in New York City, but fewer than a hundred of them actually do anything. And those buttons in the elevator that are supposed to make the door close? Not likely. To put it simply, says Kevin Brinkman of the National Elevator Industry, the riding public will not be able to make the doors close any faster using that button. Now sure, most of this is harmless enough, but it reinforces this idea that many of society's apparent failures aren't a bug in the system. They're a feature designed to exploit resources, and that includes other people too, predatory business practices, the pillaging of natural resources, systemic racism, these are not accidents, but rather carefully constructed systems that operate exactly as they're designed to. Now, as people of faith, we must ask ourselves what it is precisely that we put our faith in. During my seminary training, I'd, I'd read a book for a pastoral care class about what the author calls faithing, namely, in his words, the act of putting one's heart, a 
upon that which one trusts as true. And the author warns of the danger of putting our faith in things that are prone to breaking. The musician who puts her faith in music might be shattered, for instance, when she loses an arm in an accident and can no longer play the guitar. The chef who places all of her value in her craft will be devastated when he develops long COVID and permanently loses his sense of taste or smell. As C.S. Lewis famously said, if my house collapsed so easily, it was because it was a house of cards. But Jesus calls us to put our faith in something deeper, something that can never break, or fail, or rust. And that is the good news of the gospel. Store up your treasures in heaven, Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now don't worry, this isn't a sermon about money. Joe covered that very faithfully already. I'd say you're off of probation, Joe. Well done. No, these words are, are part of a longer sermon in which Jesus spells out his entire philosophy, touching on a number of issues such as generosity, forgiveness, and love, the things that never rust or break, the things that can never be stolen or taken away. The bottom line of the Sermon on the Mount is this. Without a moral center, human society collapses beneath the weight of its own ambitions. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them, Jesus concludes his sermon, will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And how great was its fall. When I was a kid, maybe 10 years old, my parents gave me a bicycle. It was about the ugliest thing you had ever laid eyes on, a kind of sickly green color with mismatched handlebar grips and wheels. It didn't have any gears or even brakes. You just had to pedal backward if you wanted to slow down. But I loved that bike because it was the only one I had. My mother got it from an uncle of mine who had an auto repair shop and he put it together for me with spare parts. It had just been a wreck lying in the corner of his garage, a broken thing that no one could use anymore. Before my pleas for a bicycle stirred him to piece it back together into something functional. With a little love and good intent, it could ride again. Maybe that's true for this broken world too. Maybe with a little love and the right intention, we can repair enough of the damage to make it work for people again. Maybe if we treasure the common good above our own personal interests, we can turn the shattered pieces of our society into something resembling the kingdom of God, something that actually works and works for everyone. In the words of my favorite songwriter, Tom Waits, broken bicycles, don't tell my folks. There's all those playing cards pinned to the spokes, laid down like skeletons out on the lawn. One wheel won't turn while the other is gone. 
these things you've given me, they always will stay. They're broken, but I'll never throw them away. Amen.